Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, August 25th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Huawei's latest problem is India. Insurers are betting that the pandemic will lead to higher returns, and there's a fight brewing over who gets first dibs on a coronavirus vaccine in the U.S. Plus, Donald Trump has fundamentally changed the Republican Party. But if the president fails to get reelected, will the GOP go back to the way things were before 2016? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Another blow for China's Huawei. India is phasing out Chinese equipment from its telecoms networks. It's part of an ongoing border dispute between the two nuclear powers. This isn't a formal ban, and Prime Minister Narendra Modi hasn't made any public pronouncements. But industry officials say key ministries have made it clear that Indian telecoms companies should avoid equipment from Chinese companies such as Huawei and ZTE. Huawei has been one of the three biggest telecom equipment suppliers in India, which is the world's second biggest mobile market. A senior government official told the FT that New Delhi was unlikely to ever formally ban Huawei or other Chinese equipment companies. It doesn't want to provoke a tough response from Beijing. But the official said Mr. Modi's administration was concerned about Chinese investment in India's sensitive infrastructure. This move comes after many Western companies have banned Huawei from supplying 5G equipment. Huawei refused to comment on its India business. $13 billion. That's how much investors have poured into the insurance industry over the past couple of months, according to reinsurance broker Willis Re. The catalyst here is the coronavirus pandemic. Investors and insurance companies think that the virus will usher in an era of higher returns. The FT's U.S. finance editor, Rob Armstrong, explains that the pandemic will actually help weed out weak competition and let the bigger players control prices. I think what you have to understand, Mark, is the pricing cycle in the insurance industry. So let's suppose you have a long period over which there are not big uh, catastrophes or events that make insurers pay out. You don't have a lot of wildfires, floods, tropical storms, terrorist attacks, and so forth. Over a long period like that, two things happen. One, it becomes hard to charge a lot for insurance. Clients have not been recently reminded how much their insurance coverage is worth to them. The other thing that happens is that the competitive dynamics start to pinch the insurance companies. So you'll have a lot of money coming into the industry saying, gee, this industry never has to pay out any claims. Bad things don't really seem to happen very much. They collect these premiums. I want to be in this business too. That, again, creates pressure on prices from a competitive angle. What the insurance industry and insurance investors are thinking now is that COVID might be the kind of event that not only allows insurers to say to clients, well, you really do need the kind of coverage that we sell because of catastrophes like COVID, and it might chase some of the, as it were, dumb money out of the industry so that competition might subside a little bit. So I think this $13 billion is insurance investors saying, wow, once COVID blows over, we're going to have an insurance industry that is really able to price aggressively and there's going to be money to be made, which there really hasn't been over the last couple of years. Because while we've had 
for instance, the California wildfires, there hasn't been enough of these kind of frightening events to harden pricing up. Now, the FT reported over the weekend that the Trump administration was considering fast-tracking a vaccine out of the UK. But if that vaccine hits America, there's still a big question that needs to be answered. Who will get access to it first? The FT's Washington correspondent, Karen Stacey, says there are a lot of factors going into this decision. So when it's first developed and approved, we're not going to have the manufacturing capacity to be able to give it to everybody in the world all at once. Not even the manufacturing capacity to get to everybody in the UK or the US all at once. So given that, we're going to need to ration this drug. And who should get it first? Well, there are a couple of committees that have been set up here in the US to discuss exactly that question. And I've spoken to the head of one of those outside committees, Dr. Helene Gale. And she told me that really you need to look at a number of different groups depending on A, how susceptible they are to the disease, B, what kind of symptoms they get if they do get it, C, how likely they are to spread it, and D, how vulnerable they are in terms of the job they do. So you're obviously looking here at healthcare workers, you're obviously looking at older people, but also perhaps, certainly among some Trump supporters more controversially, you are also looking at poorer communities and communities of colour because those communities do tend to suffer worse effects from this disease. So I think I've talked to quite a few public health experts, actually, who've all said the same thing. Those communities need to be prioritised above others if we're going to use this drug in the most effective way possible in those early days. The Republican Party officially nominated Donald Trump for a second term yesterday. And right after, Mr. Trump said this. We're going to win this election. The only way they can take this election away from us is if this is a rigged election. We're going to win this election. We're going to win this election. The question now is whether the Republican Party has fully embraced Trump, his policies, and his rhetoric. They're a far cry from the party that nominated Mitt Romney in 2012 and then vowed to be more inclusive and moderate. The FT's Washington bureau chief, Dmitry Sevastopolo, is here to talk about a split occurring in the party. Hi, Dmitry. Hey, Mark. Now, Dmitry, Mr. Trump has been in the White House for close to four years at this point, and he's picked up some support along the way. But he's also losing some support among more establishment Republicans. What issues are they distancing themselves on? Well, so there's kind of a conundrum. So in terms of some of the big things Donald Trump has done, lowering taxes on individuals and companies, pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal, installing two justices on the Supreme Court, and also a huge number of justices on the federal bench. So there are lots of things that Donald Trump has done that conservatives are extremely happy about. And in many ways, he's lived up to a lot of his campaign promises. What people don't like is the way he tweets, the language he uses. And then you also have some Republicans who are more interested in foreign policy, who think that he is undermining American alliances and friendships around the world with NATO, with Japan, with other countries. And so there has been a lot of concern behind the scenes. But what's been interesting is very, very few Republicans in Congress have been willing to say anything publicly, even if they were critical privately. And the reason for that is they've come to realize that If the base gets behind your opponent, and if Donald Trump gets behind your opponent, you're in real trouble. And there have been several examples of high-profile people who've lost races because Donald Trump and the base came out against them. 
Now, Dimitri, even if Trump loses in November, it's pretty safe to say that his legacy will still have a lot of influence on the Republican Party. Uh, Will Republicans try to bounce back to what the party was pre-Trump, or do they embrace it? Uh, What does it look like going forward? That's, I think, one of the really interesting questions. And it slightly depends on, assuming that he loses, it depends on how he loses in November. If he loses by a very small margin, you're still going to have a debate within the party as to whether they need to revert back to something closer to where they were in 2012, you know, before Donald Trump came on the scene. But there will still be a large part of the party, and particularly, again, the grassroots base who are not going away. You're going to have Donald Trump and his Twitter account are not going to disappear, even if he's beaten. The other question is, if he lost really badly, would that give the more establishment Republicans kind of more momentum and force more people to speak out and try and push back against Trumpism? And then on top of that, if the Republicans lost their current majority in the Senate, I think there's going to be then more momentum to kind of push back against Trumpism, because if, they, if the Democrats have the House, the Senate and the White House, that's going to be you know, catastrophic for the Republican Party. Dimitri, I want to shift gears a bit to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where local police shot the black man, Jacob Blake, over the weekend. This comes just a few months after the police killing of Georgia Floyd, along with several other black Americans and the global protests that followed. How might either party, Republicans or Democrats, respond to this? Well, I think this is really interesting, and particularly it's coming in the week that the Republicans are holding their national convention. You know, it's a microcosm for a broader issue that's going to be fought out on the airways for the next two months, which is Trump is going to say Biden is weak on domestic security in cities, doesn't crack down on protests. And Biden and his team are going to say that Donald Trump is enabling racists and not taking the problem of racism in America seriously enough. And I think that's clearly a theme that's becoming much, much bigger and has been amplified in the last few months. And I don't think there's any sign that it will go away, particularly when you have cases like the, uh, the shooting of, of Jacob Blake. Dimitri Sefastopilo is the Washington bureau chief for the FT. Thanks, Dimitri. Thanks, Mark. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,